Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Discovering Jesus, finding family, and experiencing life. And uh, we're going to be experiencing life the whole of uh, March with that new series. Um, but in finding family, I just felt uh, to, to speak a bit about um, uh, roundabout family and us as a church being family. And um, the scriptures will be on the, 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 the screen. But, you know, God's heart is a father's heart. As I was meditating on this, I was like, you know, the, we see in the word, he's revealed as father. Okay, and there's many verses we can go off to. I just pulled out the first couple that came to me. Okay, um, first one, John 20, verse 17 from the New Living. It says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I, have, I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I mean, that's really just so awesome how Jesus is, Revealing God as Father. If you think about it in, in, in the Old Testament, it was very much Father Abraham. <laughs> you know, and now in, in, in Jesus comes to reveal God as Father. Okay, and he's saying it's not just my Father, it's your Father. John 14 verse 9 is not on there, but Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14 verse 9. So it's like if we want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. Look at his earthly ministry. John uh, uh, 14, verse 6, it's not on there, on there, but Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So again, he's referring to God as Father. Okay, Father implies family. Father implies family. And that's what we've got to realize is like we're not just individual believers following God somewhere, but we're a family. Okay. And uh, you can't really get rid of family. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, easy to read version, says, The Son shows the glory of God. He is a perfect copy of God's nature. And He holds everything together by, the, by His powerful command. But what I want you to see there is that if we want to know God, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what God's like, He's revealed in Jesus. So often... Um, this this needs much explanation. But so often we look in the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, and we think God is a certain way, and we don't understand how is this, how is that. Has anyone had situations like that as you've read your Bible? You know, you read your Bible and you're like, I don't understand how God could do this. Okay, the way to interpret that is to look at Jesus. That's what, that's what uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is showing. The way to interpret the Old Testament is to look at Jesus because if we can't see it in Jesus, then we're misinterpreting it. Because if it's not seen in Jesus, it's not in God. Okay? That, that's very important and that needs a whole uh, hour by itself. But Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Father implies family. We are the family of God. Amen? The second part of that verse I want to read there, it says, The Son made people clean from their sin. Who's the son? Jesus. Okay. Then he sat down at the right side of God, the great one in heaven. Now, but the point I want to make there is the son. Okay. Son implies father. 
son implies father, so we're talking about family. Okay? And uh, what I want you to see here is that Jesus made people clean from their sins. So we've actually got a clean family. You're welcome just to come in. Don't worry. <laughs> we, son implies family. But this family, what we've got to see is this family is clean. Isn't that good? We're a clean family. Okay? I don't think you've looked at it like that, have you, Jamie? It's good. So we are the family of God. Okay? We are the family of God. You know, uh, uh, a lot of people don't have maybe a father in their life, a mother in their life. They don't have a brothers or sisters, a granny or grandpa or whatever. The, the family of God, the church, should be that for everybody. You know, and, you know, we don't get it right. We don't get it perfect uh, because we're made up of people. And so we've got to see that, hey, the church is not perfect. It's made up of imperfect people, so it's never going to be perfect. But we're still family. Okay? We have, here we've got moms and we've got dads and we've got brothers and we've got sisters. And as we grow, we've got, we can draw from the different uh, life experiences and even everybody's relationship with God for our benefit. You know, that, that's what God intended. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 to 19 starts, uh, speaks a bit about the family of God. It says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, uh, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. I love that. It says, Father. We come to the Father by the same Holy Spirit. As believers, we've all got the Spirit of God. No, Not one person in this room, including myself and Etienne, not one of us has added advantage. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same father. We all have the same access. The problem is we don't all take that same access. That's why we have different kind of maturity levels in the body of Christ. Okay? But what I get from, from all of this so far is that salvation is being one with God through the spirit. And then salvation is being one with each other through the same Spirit. So uh, salvation is, I'm one with God and I'm one with you, if you're a believer. You know what the Bible calls that? Communion. You can go read the whole Bible and it never calls bread and cup communion. The church does that by tradition. That call is called Passover. Okay, that's a Passover meal. Bread and cup. But when it speaks about communion, I'm going to show you in a moment, uh, it speaks about this relationship, this intimacy, this union, this oneness that we have with God and with each other. And you know, as I was kind of thinking of a specific verse, which I like to use to kind of illustrate that, I was like, there has to be a translation which brings out communion. You know, there has to be one. And there was one. I found one. I, I didn't look too hard, but uh, th this was the first one that came up, the message, 1 John 1. Verse 3 to 4. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. Experience this. This experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This intimacy, this relationship, this partnership. Those are some of the words used for communion. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this communion too. Your joy will, will double our joy. 
So there's a joy to be had in communion with God, relationship with God, intimacy with God. And this intimacy is not just following him. It's a friendship. But as soon as you've got that friendship with him, you've got this friendship with each other. Okay? Because it's not just God's my father. It's like if God's my father, you're my brother or my sister. You know, it's quite phenomenal, actually. It's, I mean, even think about it like this. You know, the moment my uh, sons uh, uh, made a decision and received Christ, they became my brothers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> we, we've told them that. <laughs> I like that. But anyway, there's something for us in the family of God called church. Okay? You know, someone asked me the other day, is church membership actually biblical? And we went into talking about that, and I was like, you know, you see that you see this one pattern throughout the book of Acts. People get saved, and they automatically start meeting together. They automatically start committing themselves to receive teaching, and they're within a, a family where there's leadership and there's a purpose. You never, I'm, I'm still, I, I need to go and try and find this, but I've never found a believer by themselves in Acts. So, you know, God's got something for us. There's never, you never see isolation in the book of Acts. There's never a believer following Jesus by themselves. There's never a believer just casually checking in from time to time with the believers. You know, they committed to each other, not just to the message. They committed to, 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 to each other, to doing life together. And as a result, you see a huge blessing that they experienced. The blessing... Uh, uh, that so many people don't experience today. One of the blessings, uh, um, I was talking to David Youngren about this, one of the blessings that was so evident in the book of Acts was there was no needy among them. Isn't that awesome? There was no needy among them because they were looking after each other. And I mean, we don't have the capacity as the, the organization of Grace Life to do that, but amongst ourselves, we have the capacity to look after one another. And that's what God's heart is, that we grow in that. Okay? What did Jesus say? He said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your doctrine. By your agreement in doctrine. Now, I sat with someone in uh, one of the campuses this week, and they were like, uh, uh, they had a list of things they didn't agree with. <laughs> and I said, you know what? You don't have to fellowship with us just because you agree with everything. You don't have to break fellowship because you disagree with some of the things. It's like none of these things that you mention are essential. One of the things that they mentioned was the Lord's Prayer. Why don't we do the Lord's Prayer? I was like, <laughs> really? I was, I was surprised at that. I was like, really? I've never, like, I, I would have never imagined that someone would have brought that up. But, you know, for some people, maybe, maybe for you, that's an important issue. We've got answers for that. It's not today's story. Anyway, there's a blessing for us to be had in church. And I think, you know, we often read about the early church and we desire what the early church had. We see this vibrancy, this life, this community. We desire that. But one of the things that we're not prepared to do is do what they did to get that. We're not prepared to prioritize what they prioritized to, to have that. And there's good reasons for that. We'll dig into it. But there's an attitude in the early church which we have to foster in our hearts. There's an attitude. Let's look at that attitude. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. 
They continued. We have to look at each word separately here. Continued. Okay, continued is quite a strong word. Okay, they continued steadfastly. Another strong word. Together very strong. They continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, they were committed to teaching and to grow. You never in the book of Acts ever see no teaching. There's always teaching. There's always instruction because that's how we grow. Okay? They were committed to the, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship is so important. It says there then, uh, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Breaking of bread is talking about meals together. The Lord's Supper, meals. Not just bread and cup, but meals, food, where we're feasting together. We can't do life without eating with each other. Can't do life with each other without eating with each other. Not eating each other. Okay, you, we've got to feast together. There has to, I mean, it's no good if there's a, a party and there's no food, right? I, I mean, there we go. I'm going to stop there. The pattern that we see in Acts is that people receive Christ and they become Christians. And then there was a deep commitment to that local church. They received teaching and be, being part of community. And they were committed to that. And there was a fruitfulness with that. So now let's look at some of the blessing of uh, this gathering. Okay, What's important to realize is as we look through the book of Acts as well, there's a message that comes. There's a message which is preached. This is the message of the gospel. It's the good news of what Jesus has done for us and freely offers us. When we receive that message, we receive Jesus. When we receive that message, the gospel, it, it's the start of our transformation. In an instant, we become new creation. But now we're in the process of growing in that understanding, like we'll focus on uh, uh, for the month of March. We, we grow in that understanding, and we start to experience the life of God. We start to experience what it, what it means to be a Christian. Okay, But now, uh, as we receive this message, we receive Jesus, we receive each other. And it's amazing because you get to pick which local family you get part of. You know, but even though we're meeting here, the church down the road, we're still part of them if they're genuine believers. Okay, regardless of denomination, regardless of the way that we sing, regardless of the way that we look, with believers, we're one. Okay, but we get to pick, and we should pick according to a, a certain criteria and choose with the Lord and pray about things. Uh, and we'll maybe talk about that just now. But but we we, we kind of, need to then have an expression of that faith. Because whenever the, the gospel was received, the community gathered around that message. The community gathered around a message. So it wasn't just community gathering for the sake of gathering. The community, the church, gathers because of a message. And the community gathers for the purpose of that message. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, New King James says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Some of you will be very happy to see that, that it doesn't say confession of our sins. Amen? So, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When last did you consider someone else in the family of God? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
as is the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is such a key verse in terms of church, in terms of community, saying that we should stick together, we should encourage one another, we should stir up each other towards, what does it say, um, love and good works. And it says that there's more people, as the end times come and grow, we're going to see more and more people not engaging in community. I bet every single one of us can list 10 Christians, born again, they, they know Jesus, they love Jesus, and they're not part of community for whatever reason. Some of them very good reason. That's sad because they're missing out and we're missing out on whatever gift is inside of them. I'm not talking about their money. I'm talking about the gifts, the, the talents, the, the, the creativity, the life that's in them. You know, God wants to bless each, wants us to be a blessing to each other because of what's inside each other. You've got a life experience that I don't have, and I've got one that you don't have, and we can benefit from that. Let's look at the Passion Translation on uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. It says, discover creative ways to encourage others. Now, that's a good kind of um, challenge for the week even. You know, to kind of think of maybe two or three people you know, in, in your community, in, in the church, and go, think of, and pray and ask God, give me a creative way to encourage them this week. Give me a creative way to motivate them this week towards compassion and beautiful expressions of love. So there's a positive encouragement that we should be giving towards each other so that it's building the body and it's benefiting everybody. Okay, verse 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. See, not meeting together is a habit. So you might need to re, re um, what do you call it, reprogram yourself and get a new habit. It should be a, a positive, some habits are positive. Some of you think all habits are bad. Okay, how many of you agree brushing your teeth is a good habit? You know, your, your spouse or your friends or whoever's coming with you to church, they say, amen. We like it when you have the habit of cleanliness. We like it when you have the habit of being kind and things like that. Like coming to church, being part of a community should be a habit, not because it blesses me by seeing people sitting in the chairs. Obviously, that blesses me, but it's more that it blesses each other. It blesses you, you know. God can't give you the word that he wanted you to get here if you're isolating yourself. The enemy's tactic is always to draw you apart, either because of a pity party or because you're too busy or something, and you just want to be by yourself, and then what? The person sitting here that came wanted to actually give you a word of encouragement or a hug or something, I don't know, money. I came to church to bless somebody once. I, I remember like having on my heart the whole day, bless this individual. And you know what? They didn't come that Sunday. You'll never know who it was. You'll never know what it was. But I, I went home with that blessing. And I was robbed of a blessing of being able, not being able to give that money to someone because I had prepared on my heart that I wanted to really bless that person. It's unfortunate. We don't come to church for money, but sometimes they could be, hey? 25. The, in fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge 
each other, um, other onward as we anticipate the day dawning, the end. So here's the thing. As the end comes closer and closer, the end of the age, we need to be together. We need to be encouraging one another. Every single one of us knows the need for this because of the lockdown. We experienced the need for community. You know, some people interpreted it as persecution. <laughs> because now they couldn't meet, even though some of them weren't meeting before that. So let's look at why do we, why do we come to church? Your why is vital for every part of your life, including spirituality. You know, a lot of pastors and churches put a lot of effort into making things nice so that they can attract uh, uh, people to come. Okay? And uh, unfortunately, what I've noticed is the way we attract people often determines the way we need to, uh, what do you call it, retain people. So if we attract them through um, good coffee, we have to keep them through good coffee. Because the reason you come is usually determining why you stay. And so what that, determine, what that kind of results in is that it's a consumer-driven culture with regards to church. A consumer-driven culture. So if you think about it, and, and you can do a bit of soul-searching for yourself, but it's like, why did you choose the church that you're part of? Okay, like I remember when, when I first moved to the Cape from, from Durban, I had a list, what I was looking for in a church. And my list is probably very different to yours. So I had this game plan. I was staying in Durbanville, but I traveled everywhere from here, this area, uh, Rondebosch, all the way to Stellenbosch and Somerset West. I was going all over looking for a church because I, I didn't care too much about driving because I knew this is important. I'd come from a healthy church, so I wanted a, a healthy church. I wanted a good church. So I looked, this was in 2005, and uh, my list was, my kind of my process was go to the service and don't judge them by the service. And then I was kind of like, go to another service, uh, go to a life group, see if I can connect with people, you know, do, do this, do their membership class, see what they're about, you know, don't judge them based on the worship, look at this and look at that. So I was kind of maybe thinking a bit more detailed than most people do. <laughs> most people just go to the service and go, oh, that's cool, let's go again. But, I, you know, I was thinking more in terms of a, a, a wide spectrum of what is church about. And that's what we have to consider. You know, a lot of people choose according to worship, according to style, according to friendship, according to convenience. You know, I'm going to this church because it's just here. And that could be a very bad church. Okay, we don't know. It could be a very good church, but the worship puts you off. It could be a, a very bad church, but the worship is just amazing. I feel the presence of God. But then when it gets to the Word, it's like, did the Word happen already? Did it go? Did it come? I, you know, you're kind of not sure. See, very few people, uh, believers pray and commit to a church based on what is the purpose of church. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 12, helps us see some of the purpose of church. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So part of the local church, there needs to be leadership in the local church. Okay? And this leadership in the local church, what do we do? Okay, the leadership in the local church is there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
We're here to equip. That means to invest into you, to, to pour into you, to help you to mature and prepare you for your purpose in life. Okay? So you've got to kind of look at, will this place help me to be able to do what, what God's called me to do? Live the life that God's called me to live. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. We lost it there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. It says in the King James, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some is, uh, is, is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So you don't primarily come to church to get a blessing. You don't, like some people, that's why they would go on a Sunday, because I want to have a blessed week. If you want that, come, I'll put my hand on you. You know, it was funny. It reminds me of, um, I was on mission once, and uh, uh, in between sessions, I was walking somewhere, and someone came and said, you know, uh, uh, would you please pray for me? I was like, yeah, of course I'll pray for you. And as I, I went to put my hand on them and pray for them, like uh, their friends were over here with the cameras, and uh, they started taking pictures of me laying hands on them. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be part of that. It was more of a thing of the man of God touched me. <laughs> do you want that? We can do it. It's fine. But it's not going to help you really, okay? The word is what you need. Okay, you come here to get stirred up in love and in good works. Okay, you don't live here. Does anyone live here, as in this 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 room? Nobody lives here. Okay, so so you live out there. So you come in here to be equipped to go and live out there. You come in here to be encouraged and built up, so that out there it's a bit easier. So that out there you can walk in your purpose and fulfill your purpose. So you know we have to be careful that we 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 got the right reason. We're in this for the right reason, okay? There's never a scriptural um, uh, example of us coming to church just to pay homage to God. You didn't come here for God. Did you know that? You didn't come here for God. God, God is with you at your home. He's with you at your workplace. He's with you at the beach. Amen? He's with you in the mountains. He's with you on a bicycle. He's with you everywhere. You came here... For you and you came here for me. You came here for, for every single person sitting here today. Because we're family. Okay? The father is here, but the father's with you when you're watching a movie. You just maybe doesn't have an opportunity to talk as much as you'd like to. But you know, here we're coming together and we're saying, Okay, God, speak to us. Why would he speak to us? It's not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. It's for us to be enriched to receive from each other, to be able to be a blessing to each other. Okay? We've got to see why we gather together. So, you know, this is a place for us to gather so that we can grow, so we can be sharpened, edified, encouraged, so that we can remove deception from our thinking, remove deception from our belief systems, so that we can live a life of purpose. I mean, some of us don't realize that, but we come together so that we, we can remove deception. You know, I, over the years, I've seen people coming in and then I, I'm ministering and afterwards they come up to me and they say, like, let's, a simple one, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the abundance to the, to the full. And people come up and they go, after I've explained that, I didn't realize 
that it's not God who's the author of death, the author of tragedy, the author of pain and suffering. I always thought God is in control of everything. And as I've ministered on that and showed them, no, 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 that's the enemy. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. All of a sudden that deception comes off of them and they're like, wow. You know what that results in? Living in freedom. That's why we gather like this, so that we can get rid of deception so that we can live in freedom. But if we're gathering together, we're not just online, right? There's a few people online, <laughs> but uh, they, for good reasons, are there, and uh, they can't be here for whatever reason, hopefully good reasons. But the point is, is that when we gather together like this, we get to know each other, we get to grow in relationship with each other, and you know what that means? It's not always going to be nice or fun. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be a little bit challenging. I say a little bit. Okay, Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man uh, sharpens another. I like the passion. It says it like this. It says, It takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade. And so one person sharpens the character of another. You cannot have your character developed without another person. And not another yes man, someone who's challenging you to make the right decision. Someone who's challenging you to respond well in situations. Ah, uh -uh, sorry, you know, you didn't, you didn't talk nicely to that person. You know, that wasn't very godly the way you did that. I'm surprised, like, I love you, but maybe, you know, whatever. How, how did you live out the word this week? Or whatever the case is, I don't know. But the point is, is we, we help each other. We shepherd each other. And then obviously the leadership shepherds through that too. Side note, do you know why some people prefer animals than people? Because animals don't challenge them. Animals don't talk back. Animals uh, uh, don't give you much, or they do give you opportunity to develop patience. But you can control an animal to a large extent. I can't control you, and you can't control me. If you do, that's wrong, right? But, it, but when it comes to animals, if, uh, if my dog is making a mess inside, I put the dog out. Not as in dead. As in outside, okay? I love my dog. So I put him outside. You know, if my dog is, 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 is I don't know what, but, you know, if he's barking too much, I put him inside because I want him to keep quiet, especially if I'm recording something. The point is, is that we can control animals. Animals don't say, I really don't like the way you smell today. Why aren't you being nice to me today? they just like, especially a dog, is just like, you're amazing. Labradors, you're amazing. Golden Retriever, you're amazing. You know, we've got a, a Golden Retriever. So he's like always, you're amazing. You know, but am I always amazing? No. Sometimes, I mean, you can shout at the dog and he still loves you. But shout at me. <laughs> I'm full of grace, so you'll get grace. <laughs> Maybe not initially. The point is, is that iron sharpens iron. In church, sometimes leadership has the challenging privilege. I put this like this when I was thinking of you, Etienne. Not because of, uh, because of pastoring, just because we pastor people. I was like, leadership has the challenging privilege of sometimes needing to come alongside people and encourage them to be more Christ-like. It's a good statement. Let me read it again. Leadership sometimes has the challenging privilege of needing to come alongside people and encourage them to be more Christ-like. 
<laughs> and among the brethren, that's all of us, you know, we give each other many opportunities to be more loving. That's quite funny if you think about it. Not as serious as you're thinking. But we give each other many opportunities to be patient. Don't put up your hands. How many of you have had to be patient with each other <laughs> in the last year? I'm stretching it much further. <laughs> okay, not today or this week. But we have opportunities to, to practice what we're learning. You know, I can be like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus with you. That's what I'm saying. We all need to kind of have that mentality. If I can do the same, you know, a lot of people are like, I can do the same works as Jesus and greater works than these. I'm going to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Hallelujah. Shanda. And yet they can't love you. They can't be patient with you. They can't be kind with you. I don't want someone who can raise the dead but doesn't have love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about this. You can have faith that can move, that can move mountains, but if you have not love, you're just a mess and a noise. My translation. Okay? So, what is it all about? You know, we've made church about a lot of things that it was never supposed to be about. So when we go church shopping, we look for a personality. Okay? And it's unfortunate I've got some personality. So I can be animated and I'm not just... I've been to some churches and it looks like the guy wrote in his notes, turn, take two steps to the right, look at the people. So he's like... And it's like clockwork. And then he... <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, Jesus, Jesus, help me to get something out of this message. You know, I, 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 I've got a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he's got a church of a couple hundred people. And I, I know this guy. I've sat with him. I've had lunch with him. I've had breakfast with him. And I'm like, how is it? <laughs> with all this respect, and, and how is it that people come to your church? Because you're so depressed, and you're boring. And I'm like, at least, the, you know, like, I mean, a cousin of mine went to his church and said to me, that guy's so depressed. I can't go there. But there's hundreds of other people who are like, let's go here. I don't know. Maybe misery likes company. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Calm down, Jamie. So, you know, we join a church because we like the pastor's sense of humor. Or we don't. I've had someone say that you shouldn't be so like uh, humorous at the pulpit because it's sacrilegious or whatever they said. I don't know. But, you know, we, we like the way they teach. We feel God's putting us there because this is where God wants me to learn because, you know, the, the, the man or woman of God or whatever. And, uh, and then the pastor kind of uh, a few months down the line, all of a sudden, no, 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 that's not for me anymore because they said something or because something changed. Or uh, My favorite is, is anybody who comes to church for the first time and like, this is the church I want to be at. This is amazing. God sent me here. You never see them again. It's a, it's a running joke around the world with every single pastor friend I have. Everyone says the same story. So, you know, we keep chop, uh, shopping, not chopping. We keep shopping, looking for new pastors, you know, trying to produce some, you know, get something that we, we feel we need, but we're not willing to just kind of be where God's put us and plant, get planted so we can flourish. It's difficult to be planted because it's uncomfortable. A lot of pastors fall into the trap of having to, because we have to try and attract people through carnality, and I don't mean sin. I mean nice coffee, smoke machines, lights, all of those kind of things. We, we, we feel like we have to do these theatrics, share a joke and a poem and whatever, 
in order to try and entertain people. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that church should be entertaining. Now, some of us are entertaining when we stand up front, and it's okay. It's not a sin. But it's not the primary purpose is not entertainment. It's your maturity. Maturity isn't always comfortable. Maturity isn't always fun. Okay? Because you know what? If you, you join a church, if you join Grace Life or a good church like Grace Life and you're like, I'm submitted here. You know what? Ch- uh, 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 the pastor is all of a sudden, the leadership, all of a sudden, what we get to do is help you grow <laughs> in different areas of your life as much as you allow us. So let's, let, let, let's look on. Let, let, let's move on from there. Why do most of us do anything that we do? Why uh, 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 do we make the decisions that we make? Most of us, it's like we just do what's good for us. We're just making decisions for, for the most important person in our universe. You know, the greatest enemy of the church, the greatest enemy of the gospel, isn't the devil, isn't atheism, isn't the government control, it's self-centered Christianity. And the great, your greatest enemy in your life is yourself. Let's go to a scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Be free from prideful opinion, for they will only harm your cherished unity. See, this is the thing. When we're so full of ourselves that what we think is the best thing since sliced bread and what we think is the most important thing and it's from the lips of God, and we're like, this is what I, like, you know, when you're listening to someone talk and you're, you know what you're going to, how you're going to respond, but you're not engaging with them. You're just wanting to share your story with them and tell them your experience because it was better. You know, that's a pride-filled opinion. And what does it do? It doesn't build unity. It harms unity. It harms the relationships of family. I know we all have difficult families out there. Not, no one in here is difficult. But our families, like a, you, the family we're born into is difficult, right? And when you go for lunch or dinner or supper or breakfast or a family bry or whatever, there's always those other people who kind of tend to offer their opinion about everything that you're doing with your life and about what you wore today and what you didn't wear today. And, you know, uh, 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 why did you not cut your hair yet? And how is it that you had your hair cut like that? And, you know, it's just like it's not building much unity in relationships is it but what does build relationships is humility humility builds relationships okay so then paul goes on and he says don't allow self-promotion to hide in your heart what's the problem with self-promotion is i'm not interested in you and where you should be i'm going to promote myself you know I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not here to help you get where you need to be. I'm here to get where I need to be because God's got a purpose for my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> so don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. I mean, that's a challenge for all of us, I'm sure. Abandon every display of self. Let's stop this first. Let's move on. I'm joking. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. 
Now we can go to an extreme and consider someone like Mother Teresa. I'm not saying do that. I mean, but she did live a life of really just looking at the interests of others more than herself. So I, I'm not dishonoring her, I'm honoring her for that. So she's a good example for us. But I mean, the Bible shows us, look at Christ, who didn't consider himself to be equal with God. You know, we need to consider each other in a way that, hey, I want to be a blessing to you. Not just a you must be a blessing to me. You know, Jesus prophesied about the church in the end times. In Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, And because of lawlessness, because, sorry, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So when we neglect meeting together, we're at risk of allowing our hearts to pull away. Okay? The result is that our love for God and our love for others grows cold. When we don't see each other, we forget about each other. Okay? You know, as leaders, we have to go through the lists of people, you know, just to make sure that we, we, we keep people in mind and we pray for people that we don't see regularly because, you know, because it's easy. Absence, what's it? Um, absence makes you forget. It's not a saying, but I'm making it one now. You can, you can quote me if you want. <laughs> don't. Um, but the point is many believers then, you know, we grow discouraged and depressed because we just don't have that connection. God's got a blessing for us in gathering together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. This is good. You should know this, Timothy. Put your name in there. You should know this, that uh, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. As I was meditating on that line, it's like they will consider nothing sacred. Church isn't that important. Gathering together is not that important. Why must I do that? Like, a, 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 you know, verse 3. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. This is at the extreme end of this. But in, you, you can see it in people, maybe even in yourself, to a small degree. They will betray friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. That was a challenge for me when I read that. We love pleasure more than we love God. Okay? They will act religious, but they will reject the power of God. Uh, sorry, the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. But let's look at the antidote, and we're going to land looking at the antidote to all this. How can we avoid this? Okay? A good gathering isn't about the worship. Although the worship needs to be a time of facilitating connection with God and allowing the Spirit to flow and minister and all of that type of stuff. But it's not about the theatrics of a perfect band that sounds amazing and has everything planned out to the T. Okay? The, the, a perfect gathering or a good gathering, not perfect, but a good gathering isn't about um, uh, 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 you being entertained and walking away with um, feeling encouraged. I'll quote Etienne, a good word is a challenging word. You know, so it's like if we're allowing ourselves to be challenged, it means we want to grow. You know, woe to you if you're always just listening to people who agree with you and are saying what you want to hear. Okay? A good gathering is about you being shepherded in truth. You know, 
It's about us as leaders reminding you and us reminding each other of who we are in Christ. So it's important to prioritize gathering because that will avoid a whole bunch of heartache and pain and all that. But it's really important that we just, in our relationship with God also, it's not just about gathering because you can gather and miss something major. Your relationship with God. That's really the key. As each member of the body draws from the relationship with God, draws life, draws encouragement, draws from, from Jesus, me and myself in my room with Jesus, as I am strengthened by Him, I come here and I've got something to offer you. I've got something of strength to give you. That's how we all need to be. Okay? We've all got to be able to offer what, you know, what God is giving to us. So we need to be receiving His love and allowing His love to flow through us towards each other. But here's the thing. You may have identified something in yourself that's maybe a bit more selfish or a bit more whatever. Okay? Please don't focus on that. That's not my aim tonight. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Right now, because you're a believer in Christ, you are just like Jesus. Maybe not in your actions, maybe not in your thoughts, maybe not in your intentions, maybe not in your desires, but in the Spirit, in the true part of you, you are just like Jesus right now. Okay? Who's heard of that verse? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? So now, what God has worked in you, you need to work out of you. You need to pull it out of you and allow it to affect your life. Okay? Allow it to affect your emotions. Allow it to affect your decisions. Allow it to affect your relationships. Let your salvation be experienced in every part of your life, not just in Kumbaya on a Sunday or 20 minutes in the morning or whatever you do with Jesus. Okay? This is also saying that if you can't see it in Jesus, you shouldn't see it in you. Okay, so self-centeredness. Do we see it in Jesus? The answer is no. So we shouldn't see self-centeredness in ourselves. And when we do see it in ourselves, you know what's encouraging? It's not the true me. If I see selfishness in my life, in my, in my heart, what I need to do, if I see pride or whatever, I need to stop and go, thank you, Jesus, that's not the true me. I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so now I need to get rid of this. I need to, to not allow this to become part of my identity. Because often what happens is we embrace these lies and we allow them to form a false identity when that's not who you are. The true you is just like Jesus. Okay, I thought you'd be a bit more excited than that. But the true you is just like Jesus. So look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. It says, With the Lord's authority I say this, so pay attention. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. So what is he saying? He's speaking to Christians. Okay? And he's saying, don't live like the world. This is important. He's speaking to Christians and he's saying, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. So don't live hopelessly confused. Okay? 
Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. So what must we do? Not close our minds to the truth of God and not shut off our hearts or harden our hearts to what He desires and says to us. And for you know, all of us, we can hear from God in our quiet time by ourselves like this. But can I tell you what's very probable for all of us, including myself? We only hear what we want to hear. We judge what we hear God saying to us very, very nicely. And then, you know, we, we prefer to just spend time with Jesus because we, we receive what we want to receive. But from the pulpit, it's going to be maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. In a life group or in a Bible study, it's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable. Why? Because it's maybe not what you want to hear, like tonight. Okay? So, verse 19. Don't live like these Gentiles who have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. What's the saying? They're self-centered. They're living for themselves. Verse 20. But this is not what you've learned about Christ. In other words, it's not in Christ, so it shouldn't be in you. Verse 21. Since you heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from Him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So Paul's writing to believers, and he's saying, don't live like your old sinful nature, which means Christians can live like unbelievers. I know that you're shocked. You're as shocked as I am. Can you believe that Christians can live like unbelievers? And what's Paul's instruction here? Stop it. <laughs> okay? That's his, that's his encouragement to us. Throw it off. That's quite a strong one. Throw it off. And then in verse 23, he says, Instead, let your spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. He's not saying change your actions just. Yes, if you're doing something that's harmful and damaging and causing pain and suffering for someone else, stop it. But what's important is that you don't just focus on stopping it, you focus in on changing your thinking because you can't change anything in your life without changing your thinking. That's true repentance. Repentance is changing your thinking so it changes your actions. Okay? Because that's where your actions are, are, are born, is in your thoughts. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So some of us need to come to God today and say, God, I need to change some of my thinking. I need to change some of my attitudes. Help me. Okay? Verse 24, put on. Everyone say, put on. So put on your new nature. This is what we're going to be focusing on from next week. Put on your new nature, which is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Your new nature, who you are in Christ, is truly righteous and holy. Now, for all of us, we might have thought, oh, wow, I realized I'm a bit self-centered, I'm a bit selfish, I'm, you know, got these issues like unbelievers have. Don't focus on that, because that's not the true you. That's not your true self. You might be truly doing those things and thinking those things, but it's not in accordance with who you are. Currently, you're a hypocrite. You're not living in accordance with who you truly are. So now what you need to do is change your thinking. Stop those things that are not you, because there's no root in you of those things. 
the root in you is truly righteous and truly holy. And what you need to do is put that on. Focus in on that and allow that to kind of spring up from within you. Last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what that's saying is that what we behold, we become. What we're focused on, that's what we're becoming. That's what we're being transformed and changed to be like. So if you're focused in on your self-centeredness, you're going to stay stuck there. If you're focused in on, 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 on sin, you're going to stay stuck in sin. What do we do? We say, no, I'm not doing that. And then we focus in on the true you, which is Jesus. And as we focus on and as we behold Jesus, we become like him. So what are you beholding? What are you beholding? Now, let me just say this. When we stay in fellowship together, it helps us to behold the right. It should help us to behold the right thing. Because we should be encouraging each other. Someone will come up and they'll start talking to you and they'll be negative and you won't be negative. And so you rub off on them. I've told you the story. You know, we had a, a cousin come and stay with us for a while and eventually he got irritated because we just wouldn't be um, negative with him. <laughs> and eventually he was just like, why is it that you guys are always, you're not just letting me have my moments of misery. You just, you're always just so positive. And we were like, oh, <laughs> Okay, sorry about that, you know, because Martin would you be moaning about something? Martin would be like, well, at least you're not a starving kid somewhere in Africa. <laughs> you know, things are just so tough. I can't find a job. Well, at least you've got a roof over your head and we're here to look after you. you know, and then, wow, woe is me with this or that. And it's like, well, at least, no, just stop it. <laughs> we, that's good community. Is when we won't, you know, we won't be miserable with each other. We'll help each other out of that. So what are you beholding? Are you beholding yourself or are you beholding Christ? Are you beholding your desires and your interests? Or are you beholding the king and his kingdom? Are you beholding, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because that's where ultimate joy is. Is in our relationship with God. You'll never be satisfied with anything else. So, Father, I want to thank you that we can just uh, feast on so much tonight, just focusing in on our relationship with you, what you've done for us, and how we don't have to stay in a pit of misery focusing on everything that's wrong with us, but we can just say, that's not me, I'm not going to engage in that, and we can focus in on our true self, which is you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I just thank you that as we focus in on you, we would transform and we would change. That we'll see our actions starting to become like your action. Our intentions starting to become like your intention. Our attitudes starting to become like your attitudes. And Father, wherever we, we may have uh, seen and acknowledged and recognized that there's a, an attitude that needs to be adjusted. There's an action that needs to be changed. Or there's a, something in our lives that's not like you. I thank you that we wouldn't become focused in on that. And we wouldn't become stuck in that. But we would rather just put that off and put you on. We would put that off and behold you. Focus in on you. And allow your spirit in us to transform us so that we would be like Jesus. 
in every area of our lives, Father. Thank you for the role that community has in this, Father. Thank you for the role that we have as a family together in helping each other to stay focused in on who we truly are in Christ. Thank you that gathering together is for that purpose, to remind ourselves and each other of who we are in Christ, to help us deal with wrong beliefs and deception so that we can experience the abundant life that you've got for us, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I just welcome your ministry right now to each heart, to each person that's here, that you would just comfort them, that you would pour your love out on them, that you would reveal your, your plans and your purposes and your goodness, and, and that's true, that you would just draw them closer to you, Father. And you're as close to God as you'll ever get, but there's an intimacy that you're not enjoying that He wants you to enjoy. And that intimacy we step into as we look at His goodness, as we focus on Him. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Cape Town area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.